Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. And this occurs just after Jesus has learned about the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, we are in a, uh, a season here that's uh, one of my favorite of the year. Um, it's basketball season. And, it, the, and it, it's my favorite sport, if you, if you don't know that about me. Um, I'm really bad at playing it, but I love watching. I'm really good at watching it and uh, cheering for uh, my team, who's not in it anymore. Um, so a few of us, about 22 of us, uh, ended up in a bracket challenge and um, somehow, which is my fault, somehow we ended up with two groups, and so there's eight in one and 14 in the other, and so I, I joked yesterday with Scott Long that um, his group is the NIT and mine is the real tournament, um, but uh, we will manually figure out who the winner is, and I'm in second place, in case you're wondering. Um, there, uh, who's in first? Um, we, uh, the last year's winner's in first at the moment, so we, we need to change that. Um, so there, but in all seriousness, there's, a, there's another season um, that we are in. We are actually in a season where we're approaching um, uh, celebration of, of Jesus going to the cross um, and a resurrection, resurrected Messiah, resurrected Christ. Um, so that's the season. We are four weeks away from Easter, believe it or not. Um, the weather today will start to feel like that's supposed to happen. Um, but we're four weeks away. So I want to encourage us. Um, to really just lean into the Lord during this time um, and prepare our hearts uh, to worship during this kind of season. Um, and I also want to encourage us as we approach, uh, you know, Christmas Eve and Easter are the two times that people are most willing uh, to consider uh, coming to church if that's not the norm for them. Um, so I want to encourage you to invite a friend, invite a coworker, invite a neighbor uh, to come to church uh, with us that day. We'll find room. We've got a lot of room in this in this building, and so we'll we'll figure that out. Um, but be praying towards that end, and and uh, especially be um, praying to, that God would really kind of soften our hearts as we as we approach this time um, to celebrate as we do. So, um, so we have been. Uh, 
in Matthew, so last week we kind of finished up uh, most of chapter 13, and we're, we're going into chapter 14 right now. Um, but I want to share something real quick. Um, there are times in our lives that we really come face-to-face with our own inadequacies. And we can come face-to-face with maybe a desperate need. Um, and, and here are some, some big life moments that, as I was thinking through this that, that I've experienced and maybe some of you have as well. Um, one is, uh, you know, if you, your first day of middle school or, or maybe high school, if you can remember that, some of us, we recently experienced, for some of us, it's been a while. Um, but you walk into an environment that is overwhelming, that is unfamiliar, that um, there's scary people. There's, there's just scariness around. Um, so that's one of those moments in our lives where we, we can quickly recognize that, wow, I'm, I'm small in this kind of context. And, and often, you know, if you remember, for those of us that haven't been in school for a while, you remember you go from a fifth grader to sixth grade. So you're at the top of the world in fifth grade, and now you're a, a, a bottom of the world sixth grader. Or you go from an eighth grader to the top of the, of the heap in that school to now you're a freshman in, in high school, and you're like, wow, uh, I'm the youngest. And so it can be overwhelming. Um, another thing I think of is, uh, you know, entering marriage um, and realizing that that uh, there's inadequacies there. Um, maybe it's not on the first day, the first week, the first month, but soon you'll figure out there's there's a sense of inadequacy and desperate need there when we enter marriage. Um, and then I, I'm thinking about the first. In fact, for us, our first baby, and, and maybe some of you experienced this, where um, you have the baby and all the nurses are uh, attending to the baby, and, and you might even get a full night's sleep in the hospital if you took advantage of that, which we surely did. Um, and, then, and then you wheel out you know, the wheelchair and the baby, and you get them in this car seat that you figured out with the manual, hopefully, to connect it right. And you get in the car, and I remember driving home with our oldest, Samuel. I remember driving home and thinking, everybody need to get way away from us. Because don't come near my car, and I'm worried about my speed. I'm worrying about how safe I'm driving. Like, you know, like I wasn't safe before, but I'm like, stay out of our way. But it's the moment of realizing there's no owner's manual, and we have a desperate need. So, um, and at least I felt that, I know. Um, I know as, a, and I experienced this, and some of you has, as well, if you go back to school as an adult for any kind of degree, um, you can step into that and feel like, I'm really inadequate for this. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Um, there's actually a term for that called the imposter syndrome, which you sit in a classroom or sit online or, and, and you look around and say, I'm the one that's faking it. They don't realize it, but I'm not, I don't belong here. I'm not, I'm not going to really cut it. The rest of them are probably okay, but not me. And so we feel this inadequacy and this desperate need. Um, and, I, and I think it's true for serving in ministry. I know it's been true for me, where there's multiple moments where I realize uh, I, I'm just inadequate for this. And I had a mentor that... Um, uh, I was interning in youth ministry uh, right out of college, and this guy I really looked up to and respected, and I still do to this day. Um, he's involved in a church planting network now, but he was the youth pastor at the time, and I came to him and, and um, started interning under him, working with middle school students, um, which brought a point of desperation uh, as well. And um, 
so one of the things he said to me, and he mentored me a lot um, in, in ministry leadership in, that, in those few years I was with him. One of the things he said to me that, that has stuck to this day was he said, you know, Brian, it, you know, if you picture the mid-90s, they had the, the little uh, Nissan pickups. They call them, uh, what do they call them now? Um, I'm blanking on the name of them now, but it wasn't called. It's just a little tiny two-wheel drive, low Nissan pickup. And he said, I would, I would sit in that truck before I went into this youth, youth night, and it was a pretty large youth ministry at the time. And he said, Brian, I would sit there and I would say, God, I'm in over my head. I need you. And here's a guy that, that in all accounts, as we look at him, he's very competent as a leader. Very competent and skilled and creative. Um, and I really looked up to him and he said, Brian, I... Time after time, I sit in my truck and say, I'm in over my head. What am I doing, God? I need you. And that stuck with me, and that has become my confession in prayer almost all the time, I'll be honest with you. I'm in over my head. God, I'm desperate for you. So we're going to look today, in, in, in chapter 14, there's several miracles. We're going to focus on one. There's, there, uh, Jesus heals some sick people that have those kind of physical needs. Um, he feeds a crowd. Um, he walks on water and asks Peter to do the same. Um, but we're going to focus on him feeding the crowd today. And I think there's a lot of that element in this, in, in this account where um, the disciples recognize they were inadequate um, and, and that they were in desperate need. Um, so this is actually the, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only um, main miracle of Jesus that's found in all four Gospels, um, interesting enough. And, and so it's, it's, I believe, quite important um, with what Jesus did. At least the Gospel writers, all four, recognize the importance of including this particular miracle. Um, just after, um, as, as Bud shared, just after Jesus got word that John the Baptist had been killed, um, he gets this word and he retreats. Um, and this is actually kind of a, um, a moment of transition, at least symbolically, between um, the, the forerunner and John the Baptist and Jesus himself. Now, he's in ministry. Ministry is already happening, but there's this symbolic transition, um, so to speak, that takes place. And so... Um, he goes, and the disciples go to this place that's called a desolate place. It's on the kind of the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's near the town of Bethsaida, which is kind of on the northeast uh, uh, shore of, of the same area. And so there's a crowd that follows him. He goes in a boat, and the crowd's coming along. Um, it's real open coastline, and, and, and they're following him. So when he gets out of the boat, he, he sees this crowd gathered, um, and the crowd is, is extensive. It says there's 5,000 there, but that's only counting the men in the crowd. So we don't know how many were there. Um, all commentaries, commentators have all kinds of ideas of how many. Um, but it's in the thousands, well beyond the 5,000. Um, and so this crowd is there for, I think, a couple different reasons. One is that they're there recognizing that, that um, Jesus is somebody that really can take care of their physical needs and heal them. And so they're following him because they've, they've caught some word of this. There's also a sense, a growing sense, that they recognize, they're starting to recognize more and more that Jesus is the Messiah. And this miracle we're looking at today 
um, actually confirms that even more for this crowd, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, um, there's, a, there's a growing sense that they want to actually um, force him to become king, this political leader Messiah for them. So they're, they're confused in what they recognize the Messiah should do, and there's that growing sense of it. But Matthew doesn't focus on that. If you see a little bit more of that in some of the other Gospels, but in Matthew, he focuses on this as being... This is a point of compassion, of hospitality, and seeing the power of Jesus. Um, That's really what Matthew's focusing on as he gives this account of what occurred. Um, So we see this crowd is following him, um, and Jesus steps out of the boat and and talks about having, he has compassion on this crowd. And he actually starts to perform some miracles of actually healing some of the sick and some of the needs, the physical needs that are there. So you see some of this healing as soon as he steps out of the boat because of this compassion. Um, and we know from John's account that there was actually a, a prior conversation with the disciples as this crowd was approaching of how are we going to feed all these people? What's going to happen? And so we see again in, in, in John's account that Philip answers, listen, if we had 200 denarii, which is equivalent to 200 um, days wages, um, if we had that much, we would have thousands of servings to feed, not even close to enough. So he suggests that, but he said that's, that's not enough. So the response and, and the, the answer that the disciples give is, it's getting late. It's kind of at the end of the day. They, they need to be taken care of, but we can't do it. We don't have the resources to do it. So let's just send them away to the villages, and, and let's, let's give them a chance to go get somewhere and buy their own food, because um, we, we certainly can't do that. We're not capable of doing that. Um, well, in verse 16, Jesus said, said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. See, Jesus challenges them to become involved in this and say, no, 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 don't, don't just send them away. You do it. Now, it's interesting. I, I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, I've got this. Don't worry about it, guys. I, I understand what you're saying. I've got this. He actually says, you do it. Now, we see as we go further that um, Jesus himself, obviously, is the one performing the miracle. But he directly involves these disciples in that. Um, now, they, they've already said... We, this is beyond us. These resources, is this in the way, by the way? Um, these resources are not enough um, because they look around and they see one serving, maybe a second serving, um, that this young boy has of, of uh, five pieces of, of bread and a couple fish. And they say, this, this isn't enough. It, I actually don't, blame them. This isn't crazy for them to think it's not enough. Um, you know, I, I can put myself in a little bit, if I can, in their situation and say, I would say the same thing. Why, why would I think otherwise? But Jesus said, well, you do it. And so he involves them. And I think, I think his involvement is deliberate because he wants them to step out into obedience and step out into obedience with expectancy. I think that's the, the moment what he's trying to say, 
you're right, you don't have the resources. But step out, I'm asking you to feed them, and I want you to expect that this will happen because I'm here with you. Um, so I think this is a moment, and I know that for me, I've, I've had to be reminded because our natural tendency is not for faith. We naturally want to get discouraged. We naturally want to say we don't have enough. We naturally want to be in fear and say this, this isn't going to work out. See, faith is a gift. And faith, and faith grows as we see the Lord do things in our lives. As we see provision over time, faith can grow. And so the disciples, um, it's not that they completely lacked faith, but this was another moment where Jesus said, I'm here, and I can do more than you expect. So step out and expect that I'll do something here. So... Um, they have these five, the five loaves and two fish, which is, is really a um, kind of a peasant diet of the Galileans. Um, it's really basic food. The, the bread was um, uh, made out of barley, which was considered a very low quality. Um, and that's what they had. But the disciples had these quick excuses, as I said, that, that they weren't necessarily quickly stepping out into, oh, Jesus, okay. They, they had a sense of excuse of we cannot do this. And um, here's something I want to share with you. Um, I've shared with some of you individually over the years, I think. But um, when God was calling, I spent about 15 years doing youth ministry as a youth pastor at a couple different churches. But the mentor I was talking about earlier when I was interning under him, and I, I started to um, sense God calling me to youth ministry, um, one of the things I really struggled with was comparing myself to other people. And what I was doing was comparing myself to, to others that I saw doing youth ministry. And they weren't temperament-wise, gifting-wise, they weren't like me at all. You know, there, it was that, that stereotypical, high-energy, bouncing-around-the-stage youth guy, right? Um, and, and that was not me. I knew it wasn't me. And, and I said so many times, God, I... I have this heart and desire to do this, but it's not me. As I, as I look at these other people, that's not me. And, and what he impressed upon me, and it took a little while, stop looking at other people and recognize that I'm asking you to step in and I will provide. Yes, that's not you. I didn't create you to be that way. Um, and as I stepped in, uh, God was able to do uh, plenty of things over the years, um, of just the sense of me stepping in in obedience. Um, it, there, there is, you know, I, there's certainly a sense of building our competencies as leaders, our capacity to lead and refine those kind of skills and giftings and all that. Um, by no means would I set that aside, but what I've recognized is that when God calls us, he will be the one that is adequate because so many times I've recognized myself in over my head. I mean, I think the disciples recognized this, and that was their hesitation. Send them away. So verse 19, he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. 
So picture this moment. Again, we said there's, there's, there's well beyond 5,000 here. We don't know the exact number. Um, but they're all miraculously being fed. They're all being filled all over this, this um, hillside. Thousands of people. As, as Jesus is handing a basket of, of bread and a, of, and a fish to each disciple, they're passing it out. And all these people are miraculously being filled in a way that it doesn't talk about. It talks about the disciples saying, we need to send them away. We don't have enough. It doesn't talk about what that crowd thought. Were they expecting anything? What was their reaction to being fed? Did they know that this was, this is all that there was, was these five loaves and two fish? Did they know that? We don't know necessarily from the text what the crowd knew, but Jesus basically gave a sense of when we break bread and we, when we have a meal together, there's a sense of unity. There's a sense of fellowship that, that takes place. And here's this moment with thousands um, of their sharing in a blessing of Christ. Um, so I think it was a really key, key moment and a really, I think, a precious moment. Um, and then verse 20, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Here's what's interesting. There was a real scarcity of resources. They had very little food, extremely little food, extreme scarcity of resources. And Jesus turned that into a surplus. They, they ended up, I don't think there's a, as I look in, looked into this, there's not a significance of symbolism of the 12 baskets that were left over filled with the, with the food. I, I think what it was is these disciples, a teachable moment for these disciples. As they walked away with each of their baskets filled still with food and all the crowd had been fed, this is a teaching moment. This is an active learning moment for them to visually see and carry the excess, the surplus that God had provided. Um, and, and that was a huge teaching lesson for them because they had these, the baskets were um, maybe made out of some kind of, of, of grass um, type of basket. And um, what these baskets were were what they traveled with. The disciples traveled with these and they would put their food provisions in them. And it's possible they even put hay in them. So when they went to a place, they had a place to lie down. So maybe some food provisions and hay. Because remember, they were um, remaining separate. If they didn't want to sleep or, with or eat um, what the Gentiles would eat. And so there was a sense of they needed to carry their own things. And so they had these baskets. And so they walked away with their own baskets filled with the excess of what God did. Um, so I think it was an incredible teaching moment for them. Several things that I want to point out before we close today, one, Matthew, again, as, we, as, as Tim has shared a lot as we've gone through Matthew, Matthew had the, the Jewish reader in mind. And so as, as a Jewish reader, they would have made a connection with, with this miracle of feeding. They would have made a parallel to two feeding miracles in the Old Testament, one being when the Israelites received the manna from heaven, directly from God. That's one parallel that they would have, would have connected with. Also, Elisha. In uh, 2 Kings, there was a similar multiplication of, of loaves. 
um, if you remember that miracle. So they would have made that connection and start to recognize that Jesus is the one who is greater than the ancient prophets. So they made that connection. And then Jesus himself, and, and I, uh, I think this is really powerful, Jesus makes a connection in, in the book of John, chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000 account in John, he makes a connection from the provision of bread and feeding of the crowd to his role as Savior. He says in John six thirty-two to 35, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not talking about literal hunger and thirst. He's talking about um, spiritually. He's talking about the satisfaction doesn't come from the physical. So the, the inadequacies, the lack of resources that we've been talking about in this, in this feeding of the crowd, um, it wasn't ultimately for Jesus about that physical sense, that physical satisfaction. It was about them, about Jesus pointing all, that entire crowd as far as, long as, the, as, far as the disciples go as well, pointing them to the satisfaction in Jesus alone. So when, when Jesus did something and when he taught, there's often multiple layers to it. So there's the physical in the moment, and it was impressive. It was overwhelming to the disciples and to that crowd and to, to picture what was happening there. It was a teaching moment for them. But it was also pointing to who Jesus was and the satisfaction found only in him. Um, we talked a little bit about this. When Jesus involved the disciples in, in the miracle itself and passing out um, the, the food and the, and the supplies and then bringing back the surplus in their own baskets, each of them, when he involved them, another purpose that Jesus had was ministry training. These were the individuals that were going to launch the church. And we start to see that in Acts these were the individuals that Jesus is the exemplar for, as well as for each one of us, and he is teaching them, and each opportunity he has. And so there's a couple things that I think that, that he's trying to say to them. One is, attend to the needs of, of the flock and those that, that you're leading and serving before your personal concerns. And so we have a sense from, from Mark's account that these disciples were tired, and, and they simply, we don't want to deal with the crowd right now. Um, they wanted to send them away partly because of that. And, and Jesus is teaching, no, you, you need to have compassion on them, and you need to take care of them first before your own needs. Um, and, and this miracle also demonstrates the dependence on Jesus, as we've talked about, um, that it's not about what we can supply. It really is not. Um, and then... Um, the disciples can be commended because they did care. They did recognize that this crowd needed to be fed somehow, whether it's them leaving to find their own food um, and, or whether it's what Jesus ended up doing through them. But he rec- they recognized that they, the crowd had a need, but they needed to take it a step further. And, and that's kind of what I think what Jesus was teaching them. 
we need to be willing to step out and act in faith even when we recognize that we're terribly inadequate for the task at hand. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching them. And again, not just for these these disciples that were going to launch the church, not just for pastors and positional ministry leaders that we know of today, but for every single one of us. These lessons are there for us. And I want us to consider just some questions to ponder as we close here. What about me and what about you? What circumstances is too much for me right now, for you right now? Is there a circumstance that's too much? You recognize you're inadequate. You recognize you don't have the resources for whatever the situation is. Do we rely on our own resources or is our faith and our reliance on the Lord? Um, You know, I think this is altered a little bit in our culture generationally. Um, I think for those of us in in a little bit older categories of generation, um, we have grown up under the sense of do it yourself. That's the American way. You do it yourself. So sometimes we suppress our sense of inadequacy, and we put on that mask to say, I'm supposed to figure this out myself. I think that's the struggle for those of us in some older generations. And I think some younger generations, the cultural shift subtly has been to, maybe you're not adequate for anything, so just don't bother. Don't step out in anything. And I think both are severely wrong and severely unbiblical. Am I, and I want you to consider this, am I dependent on Jesus? And if so, how is that shown? Because there's real ways that's shown. Do I need to step out in obedience and expectation? I I think in in this account, Jesus asked the disciples to step out, be a part of what he was doing. He was supplying it. He was the resource. He was the power behind it. But he asked them to be a part of it. And so there was a point of obedience for them, an involvement that Jesus had for them. But he's asking them to recognize your faith will expect something. Your faith demonstrates that you expect First of all, that you know it's not just yourself that can do this, but you expect as you step out in obedience that God will do something, that God will provide. <clears throat> so my, you know, I told you that my confession has been um, I'm in over my head, whether it's in, in parenting, whether it's in, um, you know, ministry, serving in different ways. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not skilled like Tim is in, in delivering a sermon. So I, I recognize inadequacy just stepping up here. So I recognize I'm in over my head, but here's, here's something I want to close with. I need to be in before I recognize I'm over my head. I really do. I need to be in something before I realize I'm over my head. So I 
I believe that faith is further developed. It's a gift from God, and it's further developed the more we're in something, the more we step into something. So um, I hope that makes sense. I, I really approach this um, from what God's done over the years with me personally. Um, so I hope it's, it, it's resonated with, with, with all of us in here, hopefully. Um, but this has been my experience that, that um, I have, you know, confession constantly to God. And I'm in over my head. I don't have these resources. But in faith, I know you do. So let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are the one that has all the resources, all the power, all the answers. And Lord, we know that we won't always have answers, be given answers. You've asked us to step into obedience, do it expectantly, and have you work. Have you provide. Lord, would you build our faith in you and you alone? Lord, may we not find our faith in ourselves or in others, but in you alone. Lord, I am desperate for you. For you to fill me with your spirit and move through me. And and Lord, I... I pray the same thing for each one that's, that's in this room, that's in the gathering place, that's listening online, Lord. Um, would you fill us with your spirit? Empower us, Lord, to step with obedience and expecta- expectation of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.